From the DMZ to the NATO front, this is CRN. Welcome to the Lightning Round. Welcome. Well, hello, and welcome to the Dave Kirshner Lightning Round Podcast. I am your host. We are on episode 99. It's a preparedness show. We have 20 days until we have a, a, a referendum on this jackhole, and uh, the American people issue a severe course correction to all of the tomfoolery that he and his administration have thrust upon us. But that's not why we're here. That's a weekend show. This is a preparedness show. We got a, got, we're, we're in, I got a couple things and uh, we're in some trouble. Okay. So, you know, I had, I had all of this I, and I was really excited about this and, um, you know, there's some good, there's some good stuff in here, and maybe I get to it, maybe I don't. I don't. We'll see what happens. But we're we're in some trouble, folks, uh, as a country. Um, the how do I put this? The supply chain is about to go from bad to worse, and by that I mean uh, a couple things. One. Actually, these first three articles kind of nail it down. The first one is an article about uh, <clears throat> J.P. Morgan's CEO, Jamie Dimon. Dimon. I am no fan of his. This guy, uh, anyway, I, I've done some, I work in IT, and I've done some work for for J.P. Morgan. Um, and I'm not a fan of, of this CEO, but... That's a different, different topic. But uh, the J.P. Morgan CEO, Jamie Dimon, on Monday warned that the U.S. is headed for a recession in the next six to nine months as volatile markets coincide with disorderly financial conditions. Speaking to CNBC's Julianne Tatebaum at the JPM Techstars conference in London, Diamond said U.S. consumers would be in better shape this time around than the 2008 global financial crisis, but the current factors contributing to a recession were still a cause for concern. But you can't talk about the economy without talking about stuff in the future, and this is serious stuff. Diamond said, citing inflation, quantitative easing, and Russia's war with Ukraine. These are very, very serious things, which I think are likely to push the U.S. and the world, I mean Europe, in, I mean Europe is already in recession, and they're likely to put the U.S. in some kind of recession six to nine months from now. <clears throat> Diamond's comments came after a September jobs report, which was released last Friday, showed that businesses kept hiring at a brisk pace, unemployment fell back to a half-century low, and average pay rose. Still, the jobs report raised concerns that the Federal Reserve was making little progress in its fight against inflation, 
with the Fed more likely to keep raising borrowing costs rapidly, the risk of recession will also rise. And I've talked about this before, where last year, if you wanted to go buy a house, it was 100% affordable. Um, you know, if you were going with a mortgage. Rates were in the high twos to mid threes. Um, and, you know, less than or a year later, we're, you know, we're, we're in the sixes firmly uh, for a, a percentage rate. Um, and we're dancing around with seven sometimes. So it's not a good idea to go buy a house or land right now or, or even a car. Uh, so that was the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was when, when you have the CEO of a major global financial institution like J.P. Morgan coming out and saying, things don't look good, we're going to be hurting in six months or so because of these factors, that's a problem. And that's not going to help anybody. That's not going to help you and me with our, with any sort of buying power whatsoever. So whatever you've got, you need to start thinking about maybe that's all you're going to get. And if that's true, can you do what you plan on doing? How long can you go without needing to go to the store? Because if inflation comes, recession comes, all these high prices, these high interest rates, you know, whether it's the, the your grocery bills or your your fuel for your energy costs, whatever, if all of these things keep going up, do you have enough preps to and and, and I'm thinking mostly about long term food storage, do you have enough to weather that storm? At least until the next growing season, uh, when when we can get more fruits and vegetables in the ground. Uh, we're getting into hunting season. Uh, are you are you planning on bagging something big, like a deer or an elk or a caribou or a moose, a bear, you know, or are you planning on collecting a lot of little things? Um, these are things that that you need to think about. All right, the next article deals with. Uh, an item that we already had a, a problem with and that was our food supply and I am it's actually I've got two things here that deal with that uh, so in last week's show I was talking to you about an article that I found on uh, on uh, my Patriot supply and I clicked a link and the and the link led to a second article called the war on America's farmers and farmland um, and so what they've written is uh, is as follows. If we told you that it's open season on U.S. agricultural land and farmers, you might think we're exaggerating or spreading a conspiracy theory. But you'd be wrong. American farmers and farmland are in trouble. Big trouble. On top of droughts, higher prices for diesel and fertilizer shortages, farmers are facing regulations that could put them out of business. Even if they do manage to jump through all the new regulatory hoops, there is an issue there is the issue of billionaires and foreign entities buying up and controlling massive amounts of American farmland. It's alarming. 
even if they do manage to jump, no, wait, before we dive in, understand this isn't about politics. It's about our precious food supply and the people who work hard to put it on your tables. So we are sticking to the facts as we explain why we are so concerned about America's farmers and farmland, and you should be too. Regulating farmers out of business. One of the biggest problems facing farmers is a surge of regulations coming their way. While many of these regulations are made with good intentions, so's the road to hell. There's nothing wrong with green initiatives. Like I said, road to hell. The speed at which they are being forced upon farmers is unachievable and harmful. Let's start by looking at the new Inflation Reduction Act bill, which President Biden signed into law on Tuesday, August 10th, 2022. The bill is being pushed as a means to reduce inflation, hence the name. However, the bill's agenda is actually to diminish the climate impacts from farms, a.k.a. road to hell. USA Today reports progressive Democrats still celebrated the Inflation Reduction Act as a legislative win and the largest investment in climate in the nation's history. They are zealots. This is their religion. Climate is their religion. And they are worshiping at the altar of jackassery. <sighs> Moving on. In other words, while many are hopeful this bill will ease some of the strain on American people's wallets, this is not the bill's real intention. The bill is 730 pages long and covers everything from health care to the tax code. As you read, pay special attention to, if you, if you, they give you a link. As you read, pay special attention to $20 million in funding for farms, such as the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, the Conservation Stewardship Program, Regional Conservation Partnership Program, and the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program. Within the verbose flowery language are some items that should give us concern. For instance, the goal of the Conservation Reserve Program is to take land out of production to cut greenhouse gas emissions by providing farmers with incentives. Kickbacks, payoffs, moolah. They're going to pay them not to farm. All in, all in the name of climate. Jackholes. Page 529 of the Inflation Reduction Act reads as follows. It will pay. Pay farmers not to farm. They want to restore the soil. So the measures will include plowing your soil less, implementing climate-friendly crop rotation techniques, and planting cover crops that do not yield any food. Uh, planting cover crops that do not yield any food. They're going to start paying farmers not to farm, but what they're going to do what they're going to do to tell the farmers is to tell them exactly how they can farm. They're going to tell them now, just like they are over in Europe, where the farmers are going out of business and on the streets protesting, they're now going to tell them that they have to adopt more climate-friendly provisions. They're going to regulate what you can feed your cow. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to tell, they're going to also tell you what you can grow, how you can grow it, and what you can use as fertilizer. 
Keep in mind that that's just one part of the Inflation Reduction Act. We haven't touched on the other programs or recent regulations farmers were already dealing with. For example, Californistan passed an animal welfare regulation that required more space for breeding pigs, egg-laying chickens, and veal calves. However, only 4% of hog operations were able to comply with the new regulations. These types of regulations are hitting family farms more and more every day. According to the Paso Robles Press, family farms cannot afford to keep up with increasing regulations involving how their crop is produced and in complying with labor laws, leaving large corporate farms as the only ones who can withstand the increased output. San Luis Obispo County Farm Bureau Executive Director Brent Burkett explains it hurts our family farms the worst. It is regulations that when you aren't working in agriculture on paper look very rational. And it goes on and on and on. It we're gonna this is gonna hurt, folks. This is gonna hurt a lot. I'm not gonna read you the rest of it. But what I am gonna do is tell you why it's gonna hurt even more. Well, here's the next one. Large barges are becoming grounded in the Mississippi River because water levels are approaching record lows due to drought. Shipping travel along the Mississippi River has been disrupted as water levels nearing record lows caused barges to get stuck in the mud and sand, likely creating another snag for the supply chain. The U.S. Coast Guard said last week, that at least eight barge groundings have been reported within the last week. One of the groundings happened Friday between Louisiana and Mississippi near Lake Providence, Louisiana. It halted river traffic in both directions for days, forcing dozens of barges to line up and wait to pass. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has dredged the Mississippi at several spots to keep river traffic flowing in some areas from Missouri south through Louisiana. Low water restrictions were also placed on barge loads slowing down transport. Much of the Mississippi River Basin from Minnesota through Louisiana has seen below normal rainfall since late August. The basin from St. Louis South has been largely dry for three months. Experts say the delays couldn't come at a worse time as barges carry harvested corn, harvested corn and soybeans along the river. As if that weren't enough, here's another one. Large rail union rejects deal renewing strike possibility. 24% raises and $5,000 bonuses, not good enough, says union president. The third largest railroad union rejected its deal with freight railroads Monday, renewing the possibility of a strike that could cripple the economy. But before that could happen, both sides will return to the bargaining table. About 56% of the track maintenance workers represented by the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees Division Union, who voted opposed the five-year contract, 56% voted opposed to the five-year contract, even though it included 24% raises and $5,000 bonuses. Union President Tony Cardwell said the railroads didn't do enough to address worker concerns about the lack of paid time off, particularly sick leave, 
and demanding working conditions after the major railroads eliminated nearly one-third of their jobs over the past six years. So they don't have enough workers, and the ones that they do have, they're working like pack mules. And they said, screw you, we're done with this. Railroaders are discouraged and upset with working conditions and compensation and hold their employer in low regard. Railroaders do not feel value. valued, Cardwell said in a statement. They resent the fact that management holds no regard for their quality of life, illustrated by their stubborn reluctance to provide a higher quantity of paid time off, especially for sickness. The railroads didn't immediately comment on the rejected contract. Now go figure. Four other railroad unions have approved their agreements with the freight railroads that include BNSF, Union Pacific, Kansas City Southern, CSX, and Norfolk Southern, but all 12 unions that represent a total of 115,000 workers must ratify their contracts to prevent a strike. One other union, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, initially rejected its deal but has since renegotiated a new contract. The voting won't be completed until mid-November. It's going to get worse. Get your ducks in a row right now. We've got crippling inflation coming. We've got, apparently, low water in the Mississippi River. I've never heard of such a thing, but apparently that's coming too. Now, the railroaders are saying... This contract did not address all the things that we want addressed. It only addressed two things, which is not going to be something that we're going to approve. You need to improve our quality of life. You're working us to death. And you're not hiring people to replace the ones that you let go or closed the job openings for. <sighs> you, you can't make this stuff up, folks. 2022... And I said it in my Jack Astry show, but 2022 is a total shit show. And it looks like we're going to go sliding headfirst into home plate to round out the year. One other thing that I got, um, well, I had a bunch of stuff. But um, to carry on the conversation that we had last week and the week before that uh, regarding... Uh, uh, emergency plans, uh, um, preparedness planning in terms of if there's an issue at school, if there's an issue at your workplace, if there's a, uh, you know, a, a, a plane crash, a, rail de a, a train derailment, you know, whatever it is that would cause a, a temporary um, implementation of your plans, um, I found this uh, some time ago, and I don't know why I haven't brought it up before, but um, last month, the state of Ohio, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. According to Pew Research in 2018, 57% of students live in fear of school shootings. Do you want to know how to make them feel safe? Prepare their teachers to protect them. That's exactly what Ohio decided to do. Ohio House Bill 99, which protects teachers' right to bear arms, is now law. My wife can have a gun in her classroom. And I'll tell you what, I'd rather her, her have a gun than some of these 
emasculated men that work there. My wife can actually shoot. And she is damn good. Uh, so in mid-September, uh, Ohio passed the bill which removes barriers from teachers to carry in a classroom. The bill reduces the required training from an, from an absurd 700-plus hours down to a foundational 20-hour course. And of course, here come the lefties! The left claims to care about protecting children in schools, but this is how left-leaning outlets like CBS decide to respond to laws that actually protect our kids. Immediately, they start by labeling the bill controversial. The Ohio Teachers Union also responded right on cue. Of course they did. Bunch of jackholes. The Ohio Federation of Teachers Union President Melissa Cropper had this to say. Anytime someone is carrying a gun, there's a potential for an accident to happen or for someone to pull the trigger too quickly. If there is a kid in the school shooting at people, you can't pull that trigger quick enough, Melissa Cropper. The Buckeye Firearms Association spokesman Joe Eaton responded. He says that the fastest responders will always be people who are already in the building. If you look at Sandy Hook Elementary School, the response times there were the best we will ever get waiting on outside help. And we still lost 20 babies that day. Although, if we really want students to feel safe, this isn't far enough. What should we do next? Uh, what is this? Oh, it's a link to a Baptist school's training plan to respond to an active shooter. Teachers bear arms and students learn to engage a shooter when he enters the room. High school kids learn to disarm and confront wicked killers that are there for one purpose, to end them. Imagine, every, imagine if every school did the same and tell me how many school shootings you would expect. If kids know that the teachers are armed, do kids go to school and shoot people up? Do they enter the building? Or do they now remove themselves from the building and they only take shots at people when they're outside? Because if the teachers are armed, they're not going in the school. But here's the irony. This is what the left won't talk about. And that is, the left is more than willing to protect federal buildings, courthouses, banks. We even have cops in grocery stores now. We have cops in the school, but they can't be everywhere. You usually have one resource officer to cover an entire high school campus. That is damn near untenable. So arming teachers is the next best thing. And I think it's great and I like it. All right, folks, that's the show. I recorded this early. I'm in Europe, hopefully. Uh, having a good time. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to record some more shows and, uh, I'll be back soon. So I'll be soon. What is it? I'll be back soon. Uh, anyway. All right, folks. So be good. Stay safe. Keep your head on swivel. I'm out. Happy Hunger Games. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Mm -hmm.